You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you as we get into the latter stages of of January all of a sudden, moving towards the traditional signing day, which uh, really is not on the radar right now for Penn State as we've discussed at length 27 signees in the last class. We'll turn our attention towards 2021 recruiting efforts later here in the episode. Brian Doan, national recruiting analyst from 24-7 Sports, checks in, gives us the lowdown on what he's hearing feedback-wise from a busy Junior Day event last Saturday. The weather messed with it a little bit, but did not destroy those plans. So we've got a lot of content up on the site, and Brian's got plenty of insight to share regarding a lot on the recruiting trail and Penn State. Uh, Big news coming by way of Shaka Tony. He is sticking around for his senior year. We'll jump into that conversation. Another move in the defensive end room, as well as Daniel Joseph jumps into the transfer portal. But we begin for the third time in uh, you know a matter of four weeks, Sean, uh, with a coaching addition. Penn State finds their guy at wide receivers coach replacing Jared Parker. It is Taylor Stubblefield, and what a resume he has as a player coming in from the Miami Hurricanes as a coach. Uh, and again, it's been a, a transition room the last few years. Gaddis to Corley to Parker, and, and now here we are, Stubblefield taking over. Four and four seasons, uh, certainly a lack of continuity, an interesting hire by Franklin. Uh, like I said in the last episode, heard a lot of, uh, you know, I guess, inkling that, that Franklin would go to the NFL for a hire like this. And we also talked about how your receiver coach is probably your best recruiter, one of your best recruiters, and kind of went in a different direction from both of those, bringing on Taylor Stubblefield. Uh, to me, this is a move that's probably going to uh, come under a little bit more scrutiny than the first two. Uh, really like the uh, the Kirk Shiraka hire. Love the Phil Troutwine hire. Taylor Stubblefield a little less proven. Um, of course, Miami's offense, a bit of a train wreck last season. So um, not really sure how much you can pin that on the wide receivers. To me, this hire is is all about the here and now. You ask a lot of people what they thought about Taylor Stubblefield. They say this is a guy that's a, a technician, a guy that's really going to ha- make these guys sort of work on their craft and maybe a perfectionist, if, you, if you'll call it that. Um, and to me, that says, hey, they, they've got a room full of young guys. They've got a room full of guys that don't have a ton of experience. You better sharpen these guys up. Kirk Shiraka, when we had Ryan Burns on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, talked about the, uh, the, the, the precise route running that Kirk Shiraka likes in his offense. It's about cleaning up these corners because – uh, you know, really, these, these receivers, though they did improve from David Corley to, to Jared Parker, I mean, you still need to see a little bit more out of them. Um, and, and really, not a lot of experience. You've got Jahan Dotson coming back as a starter. You've got Mack Hippenhammer and Camp Sullivan-Brown, who's coming off of an injury. More of the veteran guys. And Daniel George is, is going to be a third-year guy. Now, granted, he'll be a redshirt sophomore because he did get the four games, uh, the four-game rule as a true freshman. But all of a sudden, Daniel George is really one of those veterans in the room. It's remarkable the changeover in this group and and what you're going to need to see regarding development from from the lower tier in terms of age. John Dunmore, T.J. Jones, after you know spending a year incubated within the program and and you know getting better in the strength program, getting things down on our offense. And we've already mentioned a lot how, how much we like Keandre Lambert, who has been on campus now for ten days or so, along with Jaden Dotton at the receiver position. You've got Malik Mega, uh, Norvell Black out of Lackawanna College, and additionally someone else we've been. Pointing 
pointing to as an immediate impact kind of player in Parker Washington coming in in the summer. So uh, Stubblefield has his hands full. He doesn't have a lot of proven commodities. We spent a lot of time talking about this. We will continue to do so as this offseason moves forward. Uh, but I'll tell you what, we, we talked a little bit about Jared Parker's athletic resume when he was hired last year. He left Kentucky high school fields as the all-time prep leading receiver in that state. Stubblefield, when he finished up his college career, had more catches in NCAA football history than anybody, Sean. And, and obviously, uh, that is a remarkable feat. 316 catches at Purdue. He still owns the Big Ten record for career catches. His NCAA receptions total was topped in 2011. But uh, if you want a guy who can, at the very least, go start to build relationships, he can point to that track record and then continue into what he's done as a professional in the coaching ranks. It's a very good foundation to, 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 to start with. I remember Taylor Stubblefield as a player at Purdue, and he was just one of those guys that was always open. And of course, Joe Tiller's offense kind of changed the way things happen in the Big Ten. And, and Stubblefield is a guy that would go out there and catch, you know, 12 passes for 100 yards. And it wouldn't be, you know, he's not a deep threat or anything like that. But the guy would just, you know, make a couple of cuts, and all of a sudden he, he pops up in a window and he's wide open. I mean, you, you really, you kind of got to separate the player from the coach when you evaluate what's uh, what you're going to get out of a, a teacher and an instructor and everything like that. But at the same time, I mean, this is, this is a guy that you can put the tape on. It's not that far removed. We're not that old, thank God. Uh, but uh, this this is a guy that can go out and say, hey, this is the way to do it. This is the way that I've done it. This is the way that I can you know, instruct you to do it. And I think that can go a long way. Now, w- whether he can connect with those guys, that next group of guys, well, and I'll talk about it with Andrew Ivins here in a bit, not doesn't have a great uh, reputation as a recruiter. I mean, he's not saying he's, you know, he's fallen flat, but uh, he's down there in Miami, different culture in a little bit over his head there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he can do with that, you know, because because when you put that logo on your jacket uh, and Miami's one thing, but when you're going from Air Force and Utah and Central Michigan and some of these other spots, when you put that logo on your jacket, it kind of changes some things. So curious to see what he does with a bigger brand, with a more established brand, um, because he's got uh, an important cycle coming up for him as a wide receiver. Now he started it. Uh, it was kind of tough the way he started. He, he went to see Parker Washington in Houston. Of course, still got that Miami belt buckle on. So um, like I, I tweeted yesterday, 227 days until the season. This is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're talking about. It doesn't, it's not worth our time. It was apparently worth our national desk time to write it up. But I mean, it's just one of those things. And I, I was talking to Tyler a little bit before the show. And he's like, how do you respond to that? What does Franklin say to that? And it's kind of, I just kind of made the, the connection you know when you do something really stupid and your wife's just like, you're an idiot, and just laugh and just chuckle? I mean, I think that's the appropriate response to this. Franklin's going to say, hey, you're representing Penn State on the trail. You got to do better than that. But just come on. I mean, obviously, he didn't do it on purpose. Now, granted, you know, you have to put you you have to put on a belt purposefully. So I'm sure he saw it at some point. But it's just one of those things, man. We're so far from the season, and this is what's going to get us through. And if you're angry about this, if you're upset from this, you, you might not make it to next season. I don't know if your heart can take that kind of stuff. Not exactly the kind of uh, first story that we thought we'd generate off of uh, the hire of Taylor Stubblefield, but here we are. And I do wonder what Parker Washington and, and his family thought when they saw that, assuming they saw that. Uh, but moving ahead here, Sean, you did have a chance to speak with Andrew Ivins, who is the Miami Hurricanes insider for 24-7 Sports, does a great job keeping his finger on the pulse of that program. And life moves fast in college football. I've talked about this a lot in terms of, of recruits, in terms of uh, personnel. Uh, and, 
and this is a prime example. Last week, he's representing the Miami Hurricanes. This week, he's hitting the recruiting trail, you know, racking up the miles and flying around wearing a Penn State jacket. So um, I'm curious to hear the insight before we get into it um, and anything that our listeners should be listening intently toward on this conversation. It's interesting because I've been talking to Andrew since Friday, kind of we started hearing his name on the list and said, hey, you know, hearing he could be coming to Penn State. And, uh, you know, it's he kind of started digging around in there. He said it'd be very interesting because, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, he's tied to Dan Enos, who was the offensive coordinator, who was, of course, fired after the Independence Bowl when Miami didn't score a point. Miami's offense was was very bad. Um, so it, it, there wasn't a ton on the surface that you could like. And, and Andrew just flat out said I think the guy's a good coach. I think the guy can 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 teach. I think he can be, uh, you know, that technician if they're looking to sort of sharpen that room. I think he can do that. He developed the receivers. They did a better job than you would expect based on the offense. It's going to be interesting to see him recruit. So caught up with Andrew. Uh, we talked a little bit about that. So uh, just have a listen. We now go to the phone line for Inside the U's, Andrew Ivins. Ivins and I worked together on this Stubblefield story since about Friday evening. Uh Andrew, I, I know he was only there for one season, but what did you pick up from Taylor Stubblefield while he was at Miami? Um, he's a guy who uh, works really hard, and he's really into uh, fitness and running. Um, there was a few times this season before games when he'd be like running stadiums during pregame warmups, and I'm talking not like you know 90 minutes before kickoff, but uh, like two and a half hours. So um, it just kind of speaks to I think the work ethic he has. Um, I don't think I wouldn't describe him maybe as an ace recruiter, but he's a guy who is going to work very hard and understands that recruiting um, is kind of like the lifeline to your program. And I also think he's a good technical coach. I mean, um, Miami, um, their receivers kind of got better under him. Um, the big thing with Miami over the years has been that there hasn't been much receiver development and he was able to get some guys on the field that uh, a lot of fans weren't really expecting. So I think, um, I think personally he's a fit more for Penn state than he was for Miami. So I think it's, it it makes a ton of sense for him to go there. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he does a very good job there. So what we've seen in in our little corner, Penn State fans not completely throw. I think a lot of that comes from you know Miami's offense. Let's let's be honest, was a train wreck this year. Of course, he's t- tied to Dan Enos uh, from from their time at Central Michigan. I mean, what did you see in terms of development? You touched on it in your first answer, but what did you see in terms of development? How, you know, what was it about the receiver? Because it didn't seem like you know the receivers were at fault for that offense. They weren't. I mean, when you give up fifty one sacks. Uh, which was like third third most in the country, uh, it doesn't, I mean, it starts the offensive line. The quarterback doesn't have much time. But um, one guy I would love to bring up is Decarius Wiggins, or, or he goes by D. Wiggins. I mean, he's a guy who was like a three-star recruit down here in, in South Florida, and he was kind of the package deal because they had signed a bunch of kids out of his high school. And I, I never really expected him to have much of an impact, but as the season progressed, he kind of emerge as this deep threat uh for Miami and I just think it was his route running um they found a way to utilize his stride and I think that all that really started with 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 coach Stubbs um I know Stubbs is a guy who isn't going to take a bunch of of BS um he wants smart players I think he told me 
one time. He's like, dumb football players lose you football games. Uh, and you could see that it kind of applied to his wide receiver rotation. There was times when um, he would play maybe not the best of the best in terms like a, of a guy like Jeff Thomas. And I'm sure your, your listeners aren't all that familiar with him but you know he's he's an elite talent that Miami had but he he dealt with a bunch of off the field issues and uh, I I don't I don't think he really necessarily processed the playbook a bunch so um, Stubbs will play the guys that that get the small things done and um, like D Wiggins is definitely the one where he he kind of took a step uh, under stubble field and they're expecting big things from him this fall we talk about recruiting. You and I talked offhand. Um, you kind of said that he was in a little bit over his head in Miami. Now, South Florida recruiting, you know this as well as anybody, is just insane. Um, but what, what do you think of him as a recruiter? And, and I mean, is obviously, he seems to be a better fit outside of that little bubble down there. Yeah, you kind of touched on a few things there. I mean, Miami signed three wide receivers this year, and only one of them's from South Florida. And I would I wouldn't even really consider him much of a South Florida kid. So we got uh, Michael Redding out of IMG Academy, who is, is a four-star recruit just outside of the top 24/7. I mean, a kid with elite testing numbers, but um, Stubbs was kind of hesitant at first to take him. They wanted to work him out on campus, and uh, they ran a private workout with him that coincided with like a seven-on-seven tournament. And then decision made was made to take him and. The other kid he got was it was Desalen Warsham out of Alabama, and both those kids are two uh, Under Armour All-American wide receivers. So like they're talented players. It just a lot of Miami fans are like, why are we um, looking elsewhere when uh, we got a bunch of you know top 24/7 kids right here in Miami Dade County? So I, I think he he necessarily necessarily didn't fit that. Couldn't maybe relate to um, the South Florida kids that much. Now I'm not saying that that means he can't he can't do that in the future or anything. It just seems like there was, um, for some reason that they all just didn't click there. Uh, I, I think he oftentimes tried to sell the fact that he was Taylor Stubblefield, the guy who played at Purdue and, um, caught all those passes and or anything and everything like that. So I think maybe he was still trying to refine his recruiting, uh, techniques. Um, you got to remember he was at air force for two years before Miami. I mean, going from air force to, Miami, you're com- recruiting a completely different kid. So I think there was a bit of adjustment period. I think he was excited um, to, to really get cracking at, at, at the 2021 cycle. I know he had his sights set high on, on some big kids, and I was interested to see how it played out. So I think he's a guy who's going to work hard. It's not like he hates recruiting. Sometimes you get guys in here that are like, I don't want to do this. I, I, I just think he is still trying to figure it out. But I do, just given what he signed and what he He's targeted. I think, um, you know, Penn State kids going to be a lot easier for him to to kind of sell. Do you think that's probably an over? You know, from from a Penn State point of view, it's probably an, uh, something we're going to overanalyze, especially with Jaywan Sider in, in South Florida. I mean, they don't need him in South Florida, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, Sider. I, I think Luther Campbell tweeted out this morning that um, you know Uncle Luke, like that Sider. Uh, has gotten the stamp of approval from the unofficial inner city Miami football committee, whatever that is. So like Penn state is going to get who they want down here. Like they do a very good job. I mean, they got John, Dun- John Dunmore. Um, you know, I talk to kids all the time. Like you Keith Brown is a kid at Miami central. He- he's talking about cider. Like, I don't think, um, you know, they need stubs to be down here. Uh, I think maybe it'll, it'll help out having a guy who's a little familiar with the area, but um, cider gives you as much presence as you need. 
probably going to put you on the spot here, but you mentioned John Dunmore, and of course he's he's from down that area. Um, was there anybody on that Miami roster that you could liken to John Dunmore that you saw a little bit of development uh, from from a, a I guess a guy a profile like that? Um, John Dunmore is I I would actually kind of compare him a little to D Wiggins because they are um, longer striders, lengthier guys. Um, that would probably be be one. Um, I mean, yeah, you're kind of putting me on the spot here. I, I would say Wiggins is 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 the, the one comparison off the top of my head. And any thoughts on Belt Buckle Gate from uh, from yesterday? Oh my God! You know, there was like some Miami staffers that sent me that photo, uh, and they're like shredding him. Uh, it, it happens. I mean, I'm sure he's probably really embarrassed. Um, and then it's, it's always great when the national desk grabs it, right, and then sprays it all over Facebook. That's how you know you're, you're toast. It's peak off season, but uh, we appreciate you joining us. Andrew Ivins inside the U. He pops up with, uh, with the Miami information from time to time on Lions 24-7. But, hey, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you having you on. Not a problem. Take care. Thanks to Andrew for his time. You can give him a follow if you're interested in Miami Hurricanes. You probably aren't, but we do appreciate his insight on the new Penn State coaching hire. Turning our attention to the roster now for Penn State. Shaka Tony made us see it all the way through to the NFL releasing the list of underclassmen who declared for the NFL draft. When they did that, we saw Itor Grossmatos. We saw KJ Hamler. No Shaka Tony. No Lamont Wade. We were expecting Lamont Wade to stick around. Shaka Tony, as we said, was a bit of a toss-up going back to the Cotton Bowl. He was making up his mind, and he confirms Tuesday that he's sticking around for his senior season. We talked about this one uh, in Dallas, Sean, during the postgame podcast as being kind of a sneaky, important situation. I think it wasn't so sneaky once we got to this stage. This was a pivotal decision for Penn State, and considering what they have coming back at defensive end and what they may be losing at defensive end in terms of depth, um, Man, this, this this sure seems like a great sign for the defense moving into 2020. I'm just happy for you because you you finally got to run the story <laughs> that you wrote in late December about him sticking around. Uh, yeah, just kind of silence for so long, and we just kind of kept waiting for one of those graphics to pop up, and you know, put Shaka on notification, and uh, yeah, it just kind of went from there. But yeah, I learned a lot it, more it, about Shaka Tony by putting him on alert for for a three week span than I intended to. That's for sure. That's that is dangerous. Um, but no, I mean Shaka's his. He's as we've mentioned before. Shaka's a bit of a unicorn. He's his own guy. Uh, he goes uh, marches to the beat of his own drum and does a heck of a job at doing it so um it's uh it's good to have him back i mean you get some stability there of course you lose Yitor gross matos um you're gonna have to figure out somebody else on that other side uh, i think your two deep here is kind of uh, uh is kind of settled um daniel joseph hits the portal um assume he will be elsewhere this year I'll get a chance to go out and, and find his fifth year and go play somewhere you know he's been productive in spots i mean it just really hasn't been had a ton of reps of course he's battled injuries as well be really interested to see if maybe he he lands at old dominion or something like that with ricky ronnie andrew jackson's there kevin smith is there now um too so be be really interesting to see because i think daniel joseph can help somebody out as as a one-year rental essentially but You've got that too deep. You saw Jason Oway start the the final uh, game of the season against Rutgers. Adisa Isaacs right there. Shane Simmons, uh, you know, is we just keep waiting for that. And it hasn't happened so far. And, you know, you, you can't guarantee that it's going to happen next year, but he's going to have an opportunity to do so. So you're looking at that as you're as your too deep. And, you know, probably not as deep as you would have forecasted it to be or you would have expected it to be. You're not sure what you're going to get uh, if you get something from a redshirt freshman. Maybe Smith-Vilbert factors in there. Uh, does Nick Tarburton? 
couldn't uh, do something or anything. Um, you know, he's he's battled injuries as well. So uh, not a, not the deepest spot. And then you've, of course, got a little bit of flexibility where you've got a, a guy like maybe Hakeem Beeman, who's a defensive tackle that you could slide out there to play end in, in a pinch. Um, so, I mean, you've got you've got options, probably not as deep and as, uh, uh, I guess, uh, plentiful as those options as you want them to be. But they've got some talent and getting Tony back, I think, is a big a big deal. I don't really see them uh, going that grad transfer route where you may have said, I, I think I said a couple of weeks ago on here, Quincy Roche, who eventually ended up uh, at Miami uh, in, as part of their transfer class would be an appealing option, but I mean, you can't guarantee a starting spot with, uh, with those guys coming back. So, um, it's not the deepest area on the team, but I still like the talent that they've got there. They're going to, of course, have to, to tighten up around it. You're losing Robert Windsor on the interior, which I think is probably a bigger loss than people give credit for. So we'll see what happens when Shelton has to step up and PJ Mustafer steps up and guys like Fred Hansard and some of those younger guys, uh, will come into it. So, uh, defensive line, Pretty much par for the course, what we expected. But I, I do agree with you. I think getting Shaka Tony back is uh, an underrated aspect of this offseason. Yeah, 29 career tackles, five sacks for Daniel Joseph uh, in his four years on campus. Redshirted in year one. Flash sometimes. One game that I think specifically uh, I'm called to is the 2018 game at Pitt. Had some nice moments there, but uh, the not consistent in production and you mentioned uh, nicked up a bit and, and ultimately seeding snaps along the way to guys like Jason Oway and Adiza Isaac young risers on the roster and Shaka Tony I think it's easy to forget because he has been a part of the rotational situation for Sean Spencer for the last three years but he was a first time starter in 2019 and I think we saw him uh, over the course you know kind of take some punches and then counter punch on his own in his development process Sean Spencer is always very quick to point out his IQ I know that he views him as a leader he may not be the demonstrative leader that that people kind of uh can, can recognize easier from the outside looking in but he has been a resource for those younger players at defensive end uh, you know several of them have mentioned Shaka Tony being that guy in the room and we know Yitor Grossmatos as successful he was in the field uh very much a you know kind of an introverted personality from what we gather so I think with Shaka Tony coming back that that is key uh last year 6.5 sacks um, over the course, uh, 22 tackles for loss in his career. Uh, he had uh, eight of those last year. So you're going to look for a leap. I do think he has an opportunity to build on his draft stock. And Sean, I think it's going to be interesting. Adisa Isaac, you know, spotted Jason away that one year head start, but, but both these guys were viewed as, you know, uh, they can put it together physically and, and, and on the field coming in from high school. Look out. You know, we saw Jason away pick up five sacks last year. His best performance, I thought, was the game at Michigan State. He was Big Ten freshman of the week that week. Two sacks. Both of them were strip sacks. And then Adiza Isaac came on strong as the year went on. Uh, I read what you wrote uh, based on the conversation with Sean Spencer, and clearly there's a lot of excitement there. And I think Smith Vilbert ultimately may be the wild card here, but one storyline that's going to be interesting to navigate, and, and maybe it gets brushed aside a little bit because of the excitement for Isaac and for OA. You know, Shane Simmons is down to the final year now. He's been on campus four years. This is going to be year number five. Five-star player, committed to Penn State before his junior year of high school. He was the top-ranked defensive signee in that 2016 class. Only Miles Sanders was rated higher among Penn State signees that cycle. And you just wonder... Uh, in a make or break year, truly for him, he, you know, he's not transferring. He sounds dedicated to this program. What is he going to make of it? Because I think if he can 
have that kind of emergence and you don't need him to jump up to be a first team all big 10 caliber player but if he can be a quality component of the two deep flash a little bit more he didn't have a single sack in 2019 that could go a long way but at this point uh certainly can't really hang your hat on that happening for Shane Simmons yeah yeah they're gonna need more from him um it's it's unfortunate uh you you have two feet and when one doesn't do what you need it to do and stay uh, healthy, then you're you're at a pretty big disadvantage. So that chronic injury that that he's been dealing with, uh, I guess, 18 months leading up to last season, uh, really took away a lot from Shane Simmons. Uh, looks great. Um, you, you'd love for see to see that transfer over to the field. Obviously, a great kid, great personality, but uh, he's going to have to take another step because uh, I tell you what. Jason Owe, and we talk about the, the the potential of him as a pass rusher, but like Shaka Tony, really improved against the run as the season went on this year. Um, of course, you know he was still a target for some opposing offenses to go after, and, and probably rightfully so, but he did improve. He did some nice things. Uh, you need to see some steps like that for, for Simmons. Um, you know, you, you gave him time to get comfortable and still out there, uh, you know, it disappeared at times. So would really like to see Shane take that next step just personally, just because, you know, he's been a great kid, great ambassador for the program and and really um, something that you can sort of hang your hat on as uh, for Franklin in terms of uh, character development, and all that kind of stuff. But still, you need to see a little bit more production out of him. And he's got one chance to do it. And we'll see if he makes the most of it. But really excited about Jason Oway. Uh, I, but, but more than that, I'm really excited about Adisa Isaac's offseason. We saw where he came from. I mean, a 220-pound guy when he enrolled. He's a 250-pound guy right now. Uh, really flashed some really uh, just terrific I guess uh, I'll call them instincts. It's probably not the right word for it, but flash some terrific instincts to get to the ball, to get to the quarterback. I know most of that came in the non-conference and early in the season, but I think he can sort of level out and become a really, really good player at Penn State. Yeah, he had his bearings out there more than Jason Oway did at any point, really in the first maybe season and a quarter that we saw of Jason Oway. I'm with you. I think he really started to put the pieces together. I'd imagine just feeling more comfortable on the football field. Let's remember the game's still fresh to him. And Adiza Isaac, uh, what he accomplished in New York City, a great feat, but you never know sometimes how that's going to translate uh, from that an urban environment, jumping up to this level of football. You know, he passed that first test, got the green light, and Sean, when, when you look at Adiza Isaac here, uh, and you look at what we have in 2020 to, to kind of sort through, don't really anticipate that early impact that we saw. Uh, you know, there's not a guy that jumps out here. Bryce Mostella is on campus. Uh, he's packed on about 40 pounds over the course of his high school career, going from what he said was 175 pounds, six foot five as a freshman to now 235 pounds at six foot seven. But that, that's not really going to get it done. I think we both agree watching his film. Uh, there is a lot of refinement that's needed. Bryce Mostello may have a great future, but don't think he's going to have an Adiza Isaac impact year one. And then, you know, the other guys who come in, uh, you know, where are they going to play? You know, speaking with Terry Smith, the defensive recruiting coordinator for Penn State uh, on signing day, uh, seemed to make it clear that both Brandon Taylor and Amin Vanover, guys who are at 250 plus pounds right now, uh, are going to initially go at defensive end. Uh, but but really, I, I think if you're looking toward a, a true freshman to come in and, and have some kind of ascension on the depth chart, I just don't see it as of right now based on the information we've gathered. Yeah, those guys are scout team guys to me, and they, they need some development, especially Mostella, I think is a long-term project. Um, you, you've got the, I mean, you've got the option of Zariah Fisher where they seem to want to start him at linebacker. I still think he's going to be a defensive end long-term, but still you've got the option, uh, you know, if you needed it and you needed a pass rusher or something like that, which 
let's be honest, if you're asking a true freshman to come in there and be that guy right away, that might be a problem. So you got your two deep pretty well settled. Um, we'll see if they can get anything out of Nick Tarburton. So, I mean, it's it, it, it's a position that could get really thin really quick, but I like where they're at at the top, especially those first three guys. Well, that's going to do it for the updated news regarding the team. Um, but we do have a lot of recruiting conversation to get into. A big weekend now in the rearview mirror. We'll analyze that with Brian Doan, national recruiting analyst with 24-7 Sports. And he's got plenty more to serve up on the plate as well. But first, a quick commercial break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We will get to Brian Doan in just a moment. First, a few things going on up on the site. A bunch of content this week, including recruiting coverage uh, from a big weekend, a lot of reaction. Uh, Derek Davis, uh, one of the premier players in Pennsylvania, the first guy who was on this 2021 target board for Penn State. He sounded off uh, some really top players down in Virginia, voicing their opinion about what they experienced in Happy Valley. Additionally, our freshman spotlight series is now complete. We have 11 different spotlights up on the site right now uh, all the guys who are on campus right now you'll see their highlights from high school uh, comments from them about what they look forward to in the future and scouting reports from our 24 7 sports recruiting uh, team and additionally Sean something that's been interesting to track as you have posted it you are now through three cycles of what where are they now when it comes to Penn State commitment flips both Incoming flips and then outgoing flips from 2015, 2016, and the 2017 class. Uh, always interesting to kind of sort through, uh, you know, coulda, shoulda, wouldas of recruiting, and you've done a nice job with that. Yeah, that was some fascinating stuff and some stuff that I had even forgotten. And, and you know what? We'll probably uh, contribute or just uh, we'll, we'll spend more time on a different episode talking about decommitments because they're such a big part of, of, of that cycle and how this team came to be built. And it's just some fascinating stuff. And to be honest with you, Penn State, I don't want to say dodged some bullets, but Penn State uh, came out pretty well from that. So we did 2015 to 2017. 2018, of course, is still up in the air. Of course, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, guys like Justin Fields and things like that. But uh, when, when they're draft eligible, we'll, we'll cover that. But it's been fascinating to follow, and, and, and I recommend that you do so. Of course, we did 2015. 2016 was the big year, and then 2017 went up today, which was only a couple of guys, but still some memorable time in there. And how about Penn State basketball? I mean, how about uh, Mark Brennan's got you covered on Penn State basketball? Another big win at Michigan last night. It looked like they were about to do that little January slide type thing, and then all of a sudden they beat Ohio State and beat Michigan, just like everybody thought they would. So, uh, the Penn State's back uh, back on a roll. They're back into the bracketology. They're back, uh, you know, March is a, is a possibility again. So it's kind of that, that roller coaster that we call Penn State basketball. You can follow it on Lions 24-7 with Mark Brennan. Mark Brennan maybe needing to book a trip to a uh, undetermined tournament location. We'll see how that goes, but uh, Mark does have you covered on that. 
Quickly, before we get to Brian Doan, uh, we have some content up on the upcoming Senior Bowl. That's going to be on NFL Network, 2.30 kickoff Eastern Time Saturday. Get a chance to see Robert Windsor out there, Cam Brown, uh, multi-year starters for Penn State the last few years, early recruits in the James Franklin tenure. Uh, James Franklin was down in Mobile, Alabama. He sounded off on both those guys, kind of made a case for them as NFL prospects. We've got a story up on that as well. And then additionally, Sean, the coaches are out on the road. We mentioned that with Taylor Stubblefield. This is a time where you see some new offers surface three of them coming on tuesday i wanted to get to uh two out of saint francis academy in baltimore where you'll find three of the top five players in 24 7 sports maryland rankings for 2022 so we're talking sophomores Derek moore nazir pierce uh both of these players on the defensive side of the football they play with jay sean barham who's an outside linebacker there uh you know, moore pierce both in the defensive front and additionally on the 2021 trail another florida name to be aware of and he's a guy who has blown up of late Omarion Cooper, he is a top 10 cornerback prospect when you look at composite rankings. He's a rising senior down there in the state of Florida, and he is the latest to land on that 2021 target, which is fast approaching uh, 200 offers now from Penn State. And by the way, 2022s, kids who are halfway through high school at this stage, now over 60. Penn State has surpassed 60 offers in that cycle. So, Sean, that's enough recruiting for me because I know we get our fill in a moment from Brian Dome. Yeah, we will. But first, uh, St. Francis, man. Uh, you mentioned him a little bit. Jay Sean Barham, <laughs> yeah. you mentioned Jay Sean Barham transferred from DeMatha to St. Francis this week. You don't see many schools in the WCAC, which, of course, DeMatha, Gonzaga, uh, St. John's. You don't see too many guys leaving to go elsewhere, but... Uh, St. Francis can do it. St. Francis has done it. St. Francis has developed them into uh, sort of the IMG Academy of uh, of the Northeast. And, you know, they've had some success with that. Those 2022s are, by the way, really good. There's a lot of really good players at St. Francis. Penn State hasn't had success there yet. Um, you know, I don't think that th- there's anything uh, crazy going on that would keep them from having su- su- success as would keep me from talking. Um, but, uh, it's been, um, it's been a tough road there. We'll see what kind of impact they can make. I think Sean Spencer's in there. Tyler Bowen's in there. It's a stop that they make every time they go through Baltimore and it's gotta be a stop for everybody. Um, beyond that, I mean, coaches are out on the road. Offers are going out. It's a crazy time of year because let's be honest, they're throwing out offers all over the place. Not all of these guys uh, can jump on board. Uh, that's just the way college football recruiting is these days. I mean, you see 200 offers for 20, 25 spots. Uh, the, the math doesn't quite check out. So it's an interesting time of year. That way, when we get to uh, this time next year and guys are committing to different places, everybody can say that they picked this school over Alabama and Auburn and whatever the alphabetical order is. So it's kind of a fun year, uh, fun time of year. Um, but I mean, that's what you got to That's what you got to do to get noticed these days. We're going to bring in Brian Doan right now. Talk about the junior day that Penn state had this weekend. Of course, the weather was not good. The turnout was good from a standpoint of, I'm shocked these guys made it. I know you were out of town this weekend, but uh, the weather was not great. Uh, the roads were not great, but they they, they brought in a, a bunch of guys, a lot from the state of Michigan, who, as Alan True told me last week, they'll drive through anything to, to, to get out of Michigan. It's not a not a big deal for them. Um, but uh, all over the place, Virginia, Bryson Estes, uh, offensive lineman from Georgia, came up. Uh, so a lot of talent on campus this weekend. We're going to bring in Brian Doan now to talk about it. We now go to the phone line for our second guest of the day. Brian Doan's going to talk junior day with us. Of course, there was work to be done this weekend, so Brian was there. Steve Wiltfong was there. Alan True was there. I was guiding them all the way. You know how it works, Doan. Uh, thanks for coming on with us. Well, two things. Yes, you were guiding me along the way, but also second guest? Man, I've slipped. 
Well, you, uh, Andrew Ivins joined us from inside the U. Of course, there was a the wide receiver hire. Uh, took a little precedence over this junior day, which was a good one for Penn State. Uh, kind of a shocking one when you take into account the uh, uh, the weather forecast and how much snow that we actually got in Happy Valley. Still a really good turnout. I mean, only, what, two or three kids that were on our original list did not make the trip, and, and, and we kind of know about those Friday into Saturday. So it's uh, it kind of crazy to watch. But of that group, I mean, a lot of talented kids. Uh, the state of Virginia really well represented this weekend. Yeah, it was well represented. And it shows you the change in how things are going with the dead period in February now that you need to get these underclassmen on campus. And people think underclassmen, I don't know if they're really set to turn the cycle to 2021 yet. Um, I, I know we're getting there and usually you get there kind of in early February. But for me, one of the 2022s there, Sean Murphy, getting him back on campus was huge. Murphy, Stonewall Jackson, and Manassas. He's a kid that, I mean, he's our number three player in the class right now. And I think as more kids develop and you see more kids, it'll be a fight for him to stay at three. But I think he could be a kid who's a top 10 player throughout the whole time. And how good is he? Alabama coach Nick Saban was at his school earlier this week. But for Penn State to get him up there after the offer and, you know, he was joined by his 2021 teammate, Talik Williams, who's a defensive tackle. To me, having those two kids up there was really important. Um, They're a school that has sent guys to Virginia Tech and have a strong relationship with Virginia Tech. But I get the sense with these two that they could go anywhere. And for Murphy, getting on campus, meeting with the coaching staff, talking to Brent Pry and James Franklin was really important. And keep in mind, he's a kid, and, and I know people don't know this but because I, I wrote about it in the spring and they, it really wasn't on their antenna, but he's a kid whose really first experience at Happy Valley was playing in a eighth-grade All-Star game that LeVar Arrington put on at Penn State the weekend of one of their spring games when he was in eighth grade. So for him to get the offer and – be able to go back up there and have that memory, which was a really positive memory for him, was really good. Yeah, and and, and I feel like we don't probably talk about Tyleek Williams enough. That's a pretty good player himself. He is, and you know, I was I was texting with his coach the other day about it. You know, he's a, he was a good player as a sophomore, but he had a really good junior season. When you watch his tape, I know you and I saw him down at the opening event in Northern Virginia in the spring. And, you know, it was a little hit or miss. He, he looked really good on some reps and then with some inconsistency on some others. But when I watched him, he's a D tackle that he's not a sloppy looking kid. He gets off the line. He can, you know, he's got a couple moves that he can use. He's got lateral quickness. And I think when you look at what Penn State's doing and you talk about who was on campus and you're talking about Virginia and DMV kids and then, you know, the kids from Michigan who we know will drive through any kind of weather to get to campus, um, it doesn't phase them. But Talik Williams is a guy that Penn State should really pay attention to. And it's a school that they really, you know, if they delivered like, like Penn State wants to be in that region and they need to develop that relationship at that school. I agree with you. They've sent Jaywan Sider down there, so obviously that it tells you what that means to them. A couple of other guys from Virginia, uh, Naquan Brown, uh, defensive end, who may be a lineman. He's not very big, man. He's uh, about 6'1 and a half, 200 pounds, so you're not sure where he projects long term. 
couple of guys that I like, Kel, uh, Kelvin Gilliam and Bryce Carter. Bryce Carter just reclassified to the 2022 class, so obviously no rush there. But Gilliam looks like, uh, you know, it could be a, a future three technique as well. Yeah, and, and we'll start off with Gilliam, who told me he's going to be at Michigan on February 1st. And why is that important? Well, he visits Penn State. He doesn't have anything set up for this weekend. And then he's going to visit Michigan February 1st. He's got a ton of offers. Um, schools are, are, like you said, really intrigued as as a defensive tackle, maybe a three technique in a fourth three defense. But going to Penn State, going to Michigan, to me, that tells me right now his mind is on the Big Ten. And that's significant. And he's a good player. And I know, you know, from being on your board and talking to you and, you know, messaging with, with some of the Penn State fans, they love themselves some D tackles and they feel like they need some really elite guys inside. And, and I feel like Gilliam can be one of those guys. Um, <laughs> and again, if you can get into that part of Virginia, if you're Penn State and really have a, you know, a bigger footprint, I, I think that's important for them. Um, and then you look at Bryce Carter, who going to life Christian now, Joseph Johnson school, Penn state already has an in there. One thing I think Fitz, you'll agree with me on this. I get the sense that Joseph Johnson's dad will help in the recruitment of kids to Penn state, probably be a little active on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, so it really helps with a guy like Bryce Carter and then Naquan, see that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then Naquan Brown, you mentioned, um, you know, he's about six one, right about there, 200 pounds, probably has the frame to get up to like 225. But you and I spoke about this, you know, during the week. It's kind of where things are going a little bit in college football, where these guys who are, they could be edge rushers, they could be, you know, linebackers who are, you know, more rust a passer, passer from the edge than doing anything else. And I think that's what he is. And he may not have the best size, but you will be hard pressed to find anybody who gets off the ball that quickly and can change direction and that athletic. And he does have good length. And so sometimes we look at size and we forget to look at length. I mean, you know, sometimes you'll see like a six, two, six, three offensive lineman who has, you know, 29, 30 inch arms. And he's not as, you know, that's not as important as maybe a guy who has 32, 33 inch arms. And so, the same thing with defensive end. And all I know is this, when I watch Naquan Brown play, the kid is unbelievable and electric and plays with attitude and, and confidence. And he's just a lot of fun to really watch. Yeah. You, you kind of, you find yourself almost writing him off because of his size. And then you put that tape on and you're like, man, this kid's shot out of a cannon. I mean, he's kind of, you know, I, I hate to make the comparison to, to Shaka Tony, but he's one of those guys that's you know, really, really light, um, but has good length and probably not as tall as his length would indicate. Um, but yeah, really just flexible on the end and, and really gets off the ball very well. Uh, Derek Davis back on campus. Obviously that's an important one for Penn state. Um, this is one that, uh, you know, you could see going, uh, uh, I guess a variety of ways. I mean, but he keeps popping up at Penn state, which, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're not sure who's full bore after him, you know, is, is that Clemson offer committable, you know, is Ohio state making him a prize? priority but just keep getting him back to penn state and he's one of those top tier guys for the nittany lions yeah and it it goes back to what we always say follow what they're doing not what they're saying right and so you look at a kid like Derek davis who's from terry smith's school we all know that um he has that connection there 
saw him down at Future 50 at the beginning of the month, and he spoke about a variety of schools, including, like you said, Ohio State and Clemson and Penn State. And he goes into length about Penn State and Terry Smith. And when you get kids on campus, it's a good thing. When you're Penn State, it is a great thing. And not just because they'll get to see the facilities and the big stadium and everybody around town who's all in on everything. It's because the coaching staff is so good at recruiting, especially when they get kids on campus. I mean, I'll talk to kids all the time who don't even have Penn State offers who will go to campus and be like, yeah, it's a family there. They made me feel like a priority. Um, You know, they connect really well with the coaches. James Franklin, his energy is always really good. And and I say the thing about make them feel like family is these sometimes these are kids that really, to be honest, have no chance of getting a Penn State offer. And yet even they're made to feel really welcome and comfortable on campus. And I think Penn State does about as good a job with that as anybody that I deal with in terms of schools when you're talking to recruits and everything. I still maintain that Clemson, their kids in the program already do the best job of anybody that I ever talk to. But as far as coaches, I think they do when kids get on campus. I think the coaching staff at Penn State, I'm hard pressed to find somebody who matches what they can do. So we've got Derek Davis ranked in the top 50 easily. I think he's 36 or something like that. So you and I talk a little um, sort of inside baseball here. I've seen Derek Davis in camp. You've seen Derek Davis in camp and in a, a future 50 setting. Let's be honest, he's not very good in a camp setting. And, and why that's interesting to me is Penn State knows exactly who Derek Davis is. They've known since he was a freshman in high school. When you get a little bit further away from that, sort of the epicenter of where he's at. So, you know, maybe not Ohio State, but maybe Clemson. You know, you get some of this feedback from the camp. Oh, he didn't look so good. You know, it, it's just an interesting dynamic because college coaches, and you know this as well as anybody, College coaches can talk themselves out of liking a kid, t- can talk themselves out of taking a kid better than anybody, better than anything that we could write, better than anything like that. So it's an interesting dynamic when you take a look at Derek Davis may not be a guy flying up the board, but Penn State knows exactly who he is. Yeah, and when you watch his tape, you know, it's really important to notice how good he is on tape. Um, that helps, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and here's why I bring it up. I'm of the belief of this. When I go to combines or when I go to seven on sevens, I'm looking for certain things in terms of athleticism, you know, size, quarterbacks with arm strength you're looking at. But I will not make decisions on kids saying, hey, this kid can do this just based on what I see at a camp or a combine or a 40 time or, you know, a three cone drill. I want to see the kid play. And Derek Davis is a kid that when he puts those pads on, look out. He knows how to play. He's aggressive. He's physical. He does so many things well. And I think sometimes, and you even see it like in the combine world with the NFL, it just, (laughs) sometimes you throw all this information in there that's ancillary away from the fact of, man, this kid can play. And so when you watch on Saturdays or even the NFL on Sundays and you're like, well, wait a minute, how did that kid wind up at West Kingsville, A&M, Oregon Southwest? And like, how did he wind up there? Oh, I get it. He ran a bad 40 time at this camp that followed him around. And, 
you're like, yeah, but the kid's really a good player who on film and when you watch him live in pads is better than anybody else. And, you know, Louisville's dealing with that with a kid right now in Virginia Beach who doesn't have all the measurables. Anwar Sparrow, an inside linebacker who's officially visiting Louisville this weekend, who just does everything right and is a tremendous in-the-box inside linebacker. But he doesn't have the offers because maybe he doesn't have all the the great measurables at camp. And, and I think with Derek Davis, it's easy to look at him in a camp setting and be like, well, geez, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. But when you put on the tape, and, and that's what matters, how do these kids move in pads? Because some kids can't move in pads. Derek Davis in pads mm, looks really, really impressive. Yeah, he's a phenomenal high school player. I think he's going to be a really good college player as well. While you're on rankings, we we talked this week, and, and Doan handles the, the East region. Um, I, I don't do the rankings, but he asked for my input sometimes, take a look at some guys. Uh, what have you seen from the East? I know we're about to do a lot of 2021, uh, not, not really an overhaul, but the next step in our in our rankings. Who really jumped out to you when you're talking about junior film? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the normals like Caleb Williams, Nolan Rucci, you know, I'll tell you what, Tristan Lee just really popped off to me. Um, you know, kid out of Virginia, offensive tackle. Drew Kendall out of Massachusetts pops out to me in a really good way. I mean, Derek Davis, you know, popped out to me in a big way. But here's here's a kid that I don't think Penn State fans are paying a lot of attention to. And I think they should because, A, they have history at the school, and, B, the kid has not made a lot of visits, but he's been to Penn State, and he likes Penn State a lot. And that's Jalil Farouk out of Wise down in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. And that's, uh, you know, we already know Penn State had a pretty good safety to come out of that school. Um, And, boy, you and I spoke about him, and he just does so many things well, including – you know, he's a receiver who can go up and get the ball. He's got great speed. He's instinctual. He has position versatility because you could play him in the secondary. He gets out of breaks well. He's a smart kid. I mean, he just does so many things really well. He's a kid that really, really jumped out to me. And uh, I, I think he's somebody that you really pay attention to if you're Penn State right now. Yeah, and that's a good group of receivers in uh, in the region, especially in Maryland, uh, in the next cycle. Uh, moving to the offensive line, Landon Tangwall coming in again this weekend. I mean, how many times are we going to talk about this kid? Well, hopefully a lot, right? I mean, it's always interesting. It's fun. Um, and I get the sense that, you know, he didn't really – he wasn't really looking at taking visits in January. It wasn't really on his radar. I talked to him down in Florida about it. He's just ready to get this thing over with. It's as fun as it is. You got to remember, he's a you know 17 year old kid who is constantly getting visited at school. Who's who's got so many things going on. Um, he's just ready for it to end. And I think by him coming up, you can see that he's trying to really move this thing along and get it done even quicker. I don't think he's on commit watch, so don't don't people freak out with that but i really think he's going to use february the dead period to sit down and really plan things out get these visits done in early april and then call it a day and and just move on and get back to being a kid but whenever you get a kid like him on campus it's great and it's like we said with Derek davis landon tangwell can sit there and say michigan notre dame and penn state but he keeps popping up on penn state's campus a lot more than 
other places. And I know it's closer, but his op his other option is either go to Notre Dame or Michigan, or just not go anywhere and hang out at home. Penn State chose to have the junior day last weekend, a light weekend with Tangwall this weekend, and then a bigger junior day right before the dead period. Don't how much has this new calendar, this dead period throughout February, how much do you think that's going to change the mindset of some of these kids? And and does it push back the calendar where we see these kids? Uh, you know, they, they uh, there's always talk about official visits and these guys want to get out in the spring and, and early summer and get this. But does that become more of a reality now that you sort of take February from them? Yeah. I, I And listen, people may need they should write this down because I'm about to give you credit on something. Um, you were the one ahead of that before a lot of people knew about, hey, this February dead period where you really pay attention to the recruiting calendar. And you're like, hey, Penn State's got to have this day in early, you know, the first weekend of February because it's a dead period after. And so it changes everybody's mindset pretty much across the country. Last week, you had a bunch of juniors on campus um, to get them familiar before an official visit this weekend for a lot of places. And then on February 1st, a bunch of schools are going to make the, you know, have these kids on campus. And it's huge from this standpoint. That's it. You don't get to go anywhere in February. So, you know, kids that come to campus for Penn State, you know, and I'll say right now, Jalen Stroman out of Northern Virginia told me he's going to be at Penn State that weekend. And I'm sure everybody knows his brother played at Virginia Tech, so there's some bloodlines there and everything. But he, he's a really good prospect. And so if he comes to Penn State on February 1st, nobody can really get him on campus for a month. And so that's his lasting image. So instead of back-to-back-to-back all these junior days, you now have a month to where that's all that's going to be in the minds of these parents and kids. And so it's huge. It changes everything. And it also will give those kids a chance to sit there in February and say, okay, where am I going to go in March on some more junior days? And this is really a pain and I'm tired of recruiting and I can see more official visits getting set, set up in April and May. Yeah, I definitely could agree with that. And also Penn State had that big junior day in December where they brought a bunch of their big local targets up and uh, had a really good day that day as well. So, uh, you know, you kind of got to give them credit. They were ahead of that uh, ahead of that scheduling curve. And now you're kind of fighting for that last weekend because you want to make that last impression. It's kind of like that summer um, you know, where they get the lash bash there in that one weekend in July where you have the opportunity to get guys on campus. So you want to leave that lasting impression. It looks like they're trying to do that. Yeah. And that's a great point. So they get to do it with, you know, and so the kids we spoke about at the beginning of this segment, which again was the second segment for you, but was, you know, Murphy and Tyleek Williams, you get them up at the lash bash as well as a lot, a bunch of others. And then the next time anybody can get to campus is the first weekend of the football season, end of August, start of September. You get them through there. Penn State does a great job with what you talked about in December of that, you know, elite junior day. And now you have them on campus and then they can't really visit anywhere until the middle of January. So Penn State makes that big impact. And then again, February 1st, and now you have all of February. That's a great point. And it, it takes a lot of advanced planning for it. And I give Penn State so much credit for doing it, especially the December 1, understanding what the calendar looked like for the next few months. That's a really good point by you. 
Oh, wow. I mean, you yeah. gave me credit. You gave, it's, it's a really good point. Uh, I'm not sure that's even you on the other end of the line, so I appreciate that. Uh, one last thing. Uh, everybody is, of course, obsessed with Caleb Williams. Uh, we're a big <laughs> fan of his talent. I uh, still don't believe that Penn State's the ultimate destination, but they're in the mix. Uh, what's the? You, you went cloudy on your crystal ball this week. Of course, Brock Vandegrift committed to Georgia, so one domino falling. I mean, what, what are you hearing on Caleb Williams from that standpoint? And uh, really, where do you think uh, Penn State's quarterback? Because I know that you found a quarterback that Penn State has offered that you like more than you thought you did this week. Yeah, so we'll go to those couple of things right there. So with Caleb Williams, he's going to Clemson. You know, the plan is for him to be at Clemson this weekend. I, you know, when we spoke with him down at Future 50 in the beginning of the month, he really talked about how it wasn't so much just Joe Brady at LSU that he connected with everybody. Now, who, how he bonds with the next guy who's going to be the next Joe Brady, whoever offensive coordinator, all that stuff at LSU is important. Um, right now, I feel like LSU is in the best position, but he's got that visit to Clemson coming up. Clemson doesn't offer a bunch of quarterbacks. I believe I talked to Anna Hickey, who's down, you know, does our Clemson site uh, for 24-7. And she said, hey, Caleb Williams is the one guy they have offered, and we need to see where it goes with him and Clemson this weekend before we really have a good idea, then how much does Oklahoma still get involved with all that stuff? Cause at one point he was going to visit Oklahoma, uh, last, uh, late spring, summer kind of deal. And he had interest there, but I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of working pieces and moving pieces. And, you know, if Clemson moves on somebody else or LSU moves on somebody else, it could all change. I think right now Penn State is not operating from a point of strength, but they're hanging around. And sometimes when you hang around, that turns out to be, you know, the best thing for you. And then, you know, Maryland is also still staying involved there, even though, uh, I'm sure everybody remembers the comments he made about wanting to go to a program that was already established as winning, but there's a lot of factors involved there. And then the other kid that you talked about is Christian Velo, who's at the Bullis school, which is Dwayne Haskins, school. And Christian's a kid who was originally from the Buffalo area. Um, and so I watched his tape and, and I texted you and I'm like, yo, I think I, I think I may have underestimated this kid. And you know, you were like, well, of course you did, but uh, really good arm strength runs well, good mobility, um, seems to have good pocket presence and really comfortable. But I was, I was really impressed with his accuracy on some of the throws and I get it. It's a, it's a highlight video. So I, I do understand that, but some of the throws on where he put it when he was on the move and he had a quick release, he, he really, was better than I thought he was going to be when I watched his junior tape. And then I compared it to his sophomore tape and it was a lot better. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's a guy that really pay attention to also if you're Penn state. Now, Caleb Williams, keep in mind said down at future 50 that, you know, Penn state told him they would wait for him to make a decision before making a move on another quarterback and really, you know, saying, Hey, we want you and, and getting a commitment from another quarterback. We'll see how that plays out. We've heard those stories before, but that's kind of where things sit with them. We heard that story, I believe, a couple of years ago when Penn State took a quarterback from Cincinnati over, instead of waiting for Hunter Johnson. Um, and that guy is now, you know, starting it, uh, starting for the Nittany Lions and Sean Clifford. So, yeah, it's funny how those stories work out sometimes, huh? Yeah, it is. You know, I, I don't know if people are aware of this, but sometimes what coaches tell kids through the process really maybe doesn't work out to 
that way when you fast forward for three, four, five, six months. It's Shocking. All, it's all just coincidence usually, but uh, that's how it works. The, 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 thought, the thought process there, and I've talked to people about this, re- mostly regarding Clifford, but you can, you can throw it out in this. I mean, do you hold out for that guy that you have a chance for that's number one on your board and let two, three, four, five, whatever it may be, do you let them go? So, I mean, you got to, it, it, it's obviously risk versus reward. Uh, Caleb Williams would be a heck of a reward, but as you mentioned before, and, and as I've said several times, Penn State not offer or not operating from a point of strength there. So it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out. But, uh, I mean, you look at Valu, you look at, uh, you know, what he brings to the table. I mean, he's no slouch athletically. I think he ran a four, six, five at, uh, at camp last year. So the kid can, can move pretty well. So, um, but, uh, it, it's, you know, a bird in the hand two in the bush, all that kind of stuff. But it's just an interesting dynamic that we see, you know, sort of over and over again with recruiting. You do, you see it. And it's not only at the quarterback position, it's at every position. And, and so that's where you, you know, if, if Penn State got somebody else, you know, I could see some people react and go, well, why can't they wait for Caleb Williams? What about this? And you're right. It's two things. It's Penn State will take somebody else if they really don't feel good about Caleb Williams. Or, you know, listen, if you're if Caleb Williams is your number one and Christian Valu is your number two. OK, if you miss Williams and, and, and you want to go get Valu, fine. But what if two through six are now off the board and you're still waiting for one? Now you're down to number seven, and and that's a pretty big gap. So those are the kind of things you have to weigh when you're a coaching staff. And, you know, that's what keeps these coaches up at night, even more so than probably game planning sometimes, unless it's a huge game, because this is where, I mean, look, you want to beat Ohio State? Well, it starts with making sure you have a really good quarterback in the recruiting cycle and, and things like that. So these things are I mean they meet for hours upon hours upon hours on this kind of stuff and and so don't take it lightly and and also understand that there's more than just waiting for Caleb Williams at stake we've talked a lot about uh you know that that sort of flashy recruiting um and I'm going to get you out of here I appreciate you've been with us for about 26 minutes now um but uh it's it, another dynamic Phil Troutwine the new offensive line coach you of course cover Boston College in the East region uh, what do you know about him as a recruiter where do you think he brings to the table with the Nittany Lions yeah, well, a couple things, because I, I did some research on him, just from knowing from BC, but then I talked to some sources about it right when Penn State hired him, and a couple things about him. There was going to be an enormous push to keep him on staff at Boston College, regardless of who the coach was going to be, and losing him was really a shot for Boston College. He is considered a great technician and really does things with technique-wise, in terms of teaching kids and getting them better. And if you look at some of those kids from Boston college who as high school kids, you're like, "Ah, I don't know. And now all of a sudden they're NFL draft kids and, you know, develop one into a first round pick a few years ago with, with Chris Lindstrom. Um, So he has that, he has the ability to teach and for the kids to learn and develop. And then the other part of it is he's a good recruiter of offensive linemen. Like he can recruit offensive linemen. He understands what he's looking for. He gets good, you know, Boston college with AJ Dillon did a great job of running the ball. And it's no coincidence that this guy was coaching the offensive line. He knows what he's looking for. I'm told he's a really good recruiter of offensive linemen. And he also evaluates their talent really well. And I mean, Let's be honest, that's that's something when you look at Penn State's offensive line recruiting, it has to improve. And I, I don't want to speak anything 
poorly about Coach Lime Grover. I think he's a great dude and did a good job. But James Franklin could have retained him, and he did not. And he saw the need to go get somebody else. And he did. And for me, when when you called me and said, hey, I, I hear you know they could get the BC guy as the offensive line coach, I was like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be unbelievable hire. That's a great hire. And I was talking to a coach yesterday about the importance of building staffs and everything. And they said, you know, for coaches, the two most important hires are the offensive line coach and the defensive line coach, because that's where everything starts. And so I, I just think it's an outstanding hire for Penn State on so many levels. An outstanding segment with Brian Doan. We uh, probably went about 15 minutes longer than we aimed to do, but it was all worth it. A lot of good stuff in there. Doan, uh, you also complimented me, so I wanted to stretch that out as long as we possibly could. So thank you for doing that, and thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure.